computers. This is Intelligent Performance. Welcome to Intelligent Performance, where we are fanatical about excellence in human endeavor. And today, we welcome Piers Thackeray, an entrepreneur out of Europe and driving a company which is designing on helping business owners compete in a very competitive world of content marketing. He's taken a very unique approach. He's actually capital raising out loud. And that's how I came across Piers in a very creative and striking message through LinkedIn. And I wanted to support what he's doing and I think he's got some amazing insights to failing out loud which I admire greatly and his willingness to try and tackle a massive issue which if you can get right will ultimately lead to no doubt a billion dollar company. It's a fascinating conversation. Let's dive straight in. Peter's welcome to the Intelligent Performance Podcast. It is fab to have you with us and as we start with all guests I'd love to ask you what's your take on Intelligent Performance? Sounds great, Michael. Thanks a lot for having me. Um, you're doing a great, great job with this show. So, you know, I think it's funny because I say you ask this question to people as they come on the show. And I think that there's two takes I have on it. On the first hand, there's for me, there's human intelligence performance. And as I'm in an AI tech startup, right, I also think of artificial intelligence performance, right? Um, and I think that there's actually quite a lot of similarities in there. But personally, I feel that they both have some common points. I mean, when we look at the, you know, um, this kind of performance artificially, we could say that a lot of the way that we measure the performance would be looking at the accuracy of the outputs, um, the process timing to be able to take an input and give an output quickly and to not use too much, um, you know, resources and servers to actually do that kind of work because then it gets too expensive. So you're trying to find that balance in between speed and quality, right? And accuracy. And that's kind of the whole game with, with an AI as we're building it, fine tuning it and building your database and so on. And so it's, uh, it's interesting to try and find that, that balance. And I think that's something that we also see in humans, uh, in the end. And I think that there's quite a lot, you know, we talk about deep neural networks, uh, that's based on the whole mind of human beings in the same way that structured. Um, yeah. and so I think that we kind of have those same things that when you look at human in, you know, intelligence performance, uh, you're looking mostly at, um, you know, the answers, are they accurate to the point and are they able to process a lot of inputs, a lot of data, a lot of experience, everything that we've experienced as humans and be able to take that into a specific answer to a specific question, for example. Right. Um, so yeah, so I think that would be more or less my take on the, of the intelligence performance. I love that. And I love the AI angle that you've brought into it. And that's where, of course, we're going to spend a lot of time um, in this conversation. And right. just for those who may be less familiar with you, I came across Piers when you messaged me on a cold, cold outreach, one of the best I've seen, I'd say, Piers. Um, I usually get spammed with a whole bunch of crap. So uh, your message was something along the lines of, um, would you be open to me? I'm pitching to 20 investors publicly and... Um, and would you be willing to be one of them? And I was like, first of all, I, I've done capital raising myself and I found it really challenging. I wouldn't even say I was very good at it because I found it so hard. And what I really admire about your approach is getting out there and effectively doing it in public where most people raise capital in private. They quote unquote learn or fail was what we might call it in private. And I think your approach was really bold. So just tell us about what are you trying to do and, what, and why are you doing this kind of 
so outlandishly out in public strategy? Right. Well, I think that there's, first of all, I think it's fun. Um, I think that's important. <laughs> 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 I need mean, something that's, um, it's out of the box. And I think that it's always fun to find these out of the box approaches. Um, it puts yep. a bit of pressure on me, put a bit of pressure on the investor too. It makes the whole meeting a bit more exciting. Um, when you meet somebody at a networking event or anything, and they're just like, hi, where are you from? How's the weather? You get bored very quickly. Um, when your first message is something along the realms of, hey, I'm pitching this video, um, we're fanning out to the crowds in terms of everybody who's reaching out to these people. So I think that's the one part. Second part, we're content startup ourselves, right? We're tech startup creating a, t a content solution. And so it would be kind of ironic for us to preach the the power <laughs> of being, you know, content oriented and not doing it ourselves. Um, and so we really want to try and set a example of how you can use content at every level of your strategy um, cool. to get screen marketing, to get networking out of it, um, to essentially align it with what your goals are at this moment, right? So content for me is really a powerful way you use it creatively. Um, because once again, you reach out to an investor and you tell him, I want to pitch you my idea. He's probably going to say, well, hell no. And you tell him, well, listen, I pitched to this guy and this guy, they have these many followers. Uh, I'd love to pitch you my idea and record it. Best, best case scenario, get free marketing, worst case scenario. Um, well, worst case scenario, you get free marketing, best case scenario, you get an amazing investment, right? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the, the whole approach. So yeah. So that's those, those are kind of like the two ones. And the last one is also for the community. Um, I think that very few people have actually documented the reality of fundraising, right? To actually have all the recordings filmed and to record that whole process. I mean, we've, we started with, our title was 20 investors. We're now going to increase it to 40 investors and we'll see how high that number goes, right? As we continue oh. this. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I think it's going to be a very interesting journey to actually have captured and to be able to share with people. So. I think it's really brave. I think it's super brave. I think I think you're right. I think it's also really interesting, right? Because most people actually don't know what it takes to raise capital. I, uh, I work with another company called Virtual, and they were in the the community crowdsource funding space. And a lot of people are really surprised when they come into a campaign. They think kind of the platform is going to do all the heavy lifting for them, but they're really surprised as to the amount of phone calls they have to. You know, it's kind of expected as part of the, the actual campaign. And it's, it's just bloody hard work, you know, and trying to get people to trust you quickly. And I think what you're doing is actually a really good way to do it because you built, you can build trust at a large scale. And then the ones who might actually genuinely be interested, I'm, I would imagine might even self-select and come forward. Um, but I'm intrigued. What, what do you find it? Is, is that, is it something like that or, or something different? Yeah. It's a good, it's a really good point. I mean, there's some interesting dynamics, right? So if you think of when you record something the whole thing itself changes. It's like when you have, you know, the, the, the font de Jung, we say that in French, I only saw it. Like when you look at a wave of electrons or, you know, protons going through these two holes, if you look at them, they act as a single part, but if you look at, if you don't look at them, they act as a wave, right? Um, and so it's the same way when you put a camera on a meeting, the meeting itself becomes something else, right? Then yeah. there was, so the intentions are different. <laughs> As a part of brand representation, um, there's also, you know, so I am seeing some interesting dynamics coming out of this, 
Um, but overall, I think that's a positive uh, effect and positive outcome. Um, you also get the network effect of it. So some people who are seeing our journey now are actually reaching out and saying, man, this is really cool. Um, I would love to invest if I can get something like that, right? And so that's why we're actually thinking of going down that crowdfunding route also, because oh. we're seeing this kind of movement building around, hey, I'd like to chip in and be part of this, right? Because they see our downfalls, they see the drama and all that. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So just for the people listening, give us a quick summary of the business that you're building. Sounds good. So. We're essentially building a, I'll make it very simple, an all-in-one content, content marketing, social media content marketing platform so that any small business owner or, you know, business owner in general can manage their entire content strategy um, for using 10 minutes a day and as well as $50 uh, a month, right? So we want to make it very accessible, very easy and straightforward. Uh, we cover the whole process from ideation to optimization of the strategy from idealization of the content, production, posting, optimization, and so on. And we streamline all of it using freelancers and having an AI kind of as a manager, right? So uh, it makes it much more accessible, agile, and cost-effective. I think the AI as a manager, when you explain this in our kind of briefing call, the AI manager piece, I think is really powerful because when I worked at agency, I saw that actually the manager is a very powerful link in terms of they need to understand your business. They're often doing a lot of the heavy lifting, explaining that to the creatives or whoever you're kind of engaging. But the busier they become, arguably the worse they become. And I feel like with AI, there's a potential that you don't see that. If you can get them fully trained, then you don't see that kind of worsening. Is, is that what you're finding in terms of like reality? Is, is AI that good yet to be able to achieve something like that? Well, it's a good point. And I think, I mean, we all have access to the GPT, right? So currently our stack is we're using LangChain connected into GPT and the stack of it, and we fine tune the model um, from the from the management data, basically. And from this, taking this controlled input of the business owner setting their vision, and then the AI laying out the process and the steps that the freelancers need to execute with the task descriptions and so on, so that they can execute it. So, you know, there are some limitations, whereas a manager can use, like a manager can record his screen using Loom and explain very quickly how to do something and send it off to a freelancer. Here we have to, we're limited more by text. Um, and we can use image generation, but we're not able to recreate the image, images of these platforms. We've been thinking about how to do that kind of same way, right? How to tell a freelancer to click at this point of your screen on this updated software, right? To complete this task, um, to get that specific, which is the end goal in some areas, because that will reduce the talents, um, requirements to get in there. So it reduce the overall costs. Um, so to get to that level, we really have to amass more data and we have to control more of the processes. Um, but overall taking, I mean, the language that it has is absolutely there. There's no need for us to make it better at its NLP and NLG, uh, natural language processing and generation. There's no need for work on that really. Um, the fine tuning is quite straightforward, to be honest. Um, I think that I don't want to make it seem like we're tech geniuses doing this whole crazy thing. You just throw a bunch of data on it, repeating this task, and it actually gets quite good at it quite quickly. Um, 
with a thousand data samples where you're seeing pretty good results. Um, mm. I do know that to get you those, you know, more complicated tasks, we're going to have to get up to 1 million data samples, right? Um, but yeah, so no, I think it's actually quite straightforward on that aspect, but we're still thinking of how can we offload some of the complexity that that manager will have in an organization to the freelancer himself so that the freelancer is adaptable to that AI manager who is different than an AI human, right? So we're trying to yeah. get also that part of the equation solved, the human to AI manager equation, right? Yeah, which is tricky because even in, in a, in a, a uh, agency levies, I found the navigating customer expectation like super difficult to do because you don't know their understanding about marketing. You know, if you started to use acronyms like you just did, you can lose people really quick. And well, how do you think, you, how can you solve that piece, do you think? I think, well, you need to get the right freelancer who has the right skill set, who understands the vocabulary for that task. Um, yep. But I mean, on the client side, like oh, the okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how do you bridge that gap or potential gap? Right. Well, currently our platform um, is very much, um, it's quite straightforward because the human explains this two ways. First of all, we actually do control the input in some aspects. So we currently have some laid out pre-made processes. Um, and then the AI just has to do the adapting of that pre-made process to the client's input. So the client's input has, you don't need much from him, right? You just need kind of like some predefined input, such as his branding, his tone of voice for his brand. And all that information is kind of get got, we get that from the websites, right? Yeah. And mostly sending the AI there. Um, so in those, for those kind of processes, we don't really need to understand and convert some weird explanation, but the, where we're heading here is for them to pick up their phone or to have a one hour meeting with their whole team and they have their phone recording it. And at the end of that one hour meeting, they walk out and say, okay, well, we just had our marketing meeting, pull out the Theon and they just see, okay, well, Theon tells them, um, yeah, this is what you guys have talked about. Here's the plans that you guys want to execute. Here's going to be the costs, the freelancers, the time it will take them. I can get this launched for you today if you're ready to go and you just click go. Right. So that's where things get more complicated because now you're taking in a lot of data and you're trying to sort it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so for that one, we need to basically look at it at using um, the natural, the NLP. So the way that it processes language is just probability. Uh, so I'll try to break this down pretty simple for an AI, right? An AI is just predicting what's the next letter in this phrase based on the input that you're giving it. That's all it really is. And it has so much data, basically in open AI, right? That the whole data of all the texts written on the internet. So they have a lot of it. So with all this data, they're able to pretty well define what letters and what sequence do you want them in order to get, uh, you know, phrases that you're, that you're like, wow, I think this is a human, right? Yeah. Um, and so essentially, even if your explanation is not using the perfect vocabulary when you're defining your vision for a strategy, um, an AI will do a pretty good job by using all the data on the internet that it's used to actually kind of understand what you're trying to say, because uh, it's pretty good at predicting this. And honestly, it's probably doing a better job than most humans are doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that answers your yeah. answer. Yeah. No, it's really cool. So tell me, it sounds like you're out to 
decimate arguably agencies in terms of how they're traditionally modeled because if you if ai and i, and I really think ai could do a lot better than most agencies uh, especially from a management perspective because you see a lot of really good account managers in that world they end up starting their own agency and so yeah it kind of continues this forever fragmentation of the agency world right if they're any good then they kind of they're set up on their own so do you see it's going to be a tool for agencies or is it actually, it, it, do you see them as a target actually to, you know, it's about time we really made the agency model accessible for everybody? I think it will, um, it's a great question you're asking there, Michael, and one that I've been thinking a lot about since our last, uh, our last call and briefly introduced and I go a bit, I heard a bit about your experience too. Um, and I think, I do think that it will be a tool for agencies to use. I had an agency myself and this was a tool that I needed, right? So that's why I set myself on building it. And so I do see agencies using this as we get it out there. They'll probably do a better job at managing the clients than our AI will in the beginning because you won't have the data. They'll also do a better job probably at um, at uh, using the tool itself. Because like you said, they have that better vocabulary. Um, so it will probably increase the success rates, right? Because it'll be more clear what they want and easier to predict by the AI. Um, so even if we're going from 90% to 95% success or whatever that is, um, yeah. it'll be a big change, right? Um, so I think, yeah, I do think that there is that part where we do want to help the agencies um, access that lower market, which they cannot serve with human heavy processes. Um, However, we don't want to limit it to that. Um, I personally have built this out of this pain that I've had, that I see my clients had, that I saw my mum have. And so I do have my personal mission too. I actually do want small businesses to be able to get access to this. I do want small businesses to be able to thrive in this more and more fast moving landscape in marketing where they have to do loads of content on all platforms. We make it engaging, interesting. Yeah. What the hell? What to do all business next to this, right? Yeah. How is that? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I just have that mission also on there for sure. Okay. That's really cool. So I want to come back to the capital raising piece. You know, you're out there. How many investors or how many people have you pitched? Because you've even, I've seen uh, clips of you just walking down the street randomly <laughs> pitching people. <laughs> 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 they suck off. And wildly, like some people going, yeah, okay, I'd invest in that. Like, I think you give them like 20 seconds or something like that. And they go, would you invest? I'm like, yeah, I would. And I'm like, oh my God. I like, said, so how many, like, actually, you know, what, how many, what, what's the response you're getting from, uh, let's say all of that and what, what are the key learnings you're, you're seeing and, and what's the kind of feedback you're getting from investors that you're taking away from, um, from, and maybe a, a third question is, have you raised any money yet, Pierce? Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, great question. So first one, um, well, let's start with the last one. Um, we actually have raised so far 45K um, cool. out, the, out of the 300K, right? So 15% there. Um, we have a lot of leads, a lot of people who have said yes, but people have a hard time going from the yes to the investments. Now, the people in the street, I didn't follow up a lot because uh, I do. I did put them on the spot myself, right? Like, um, <laughs> just like they would probably want to invest if we did do a crowdfunding. Um, okay. Obviously, we're asking, but for minimum tickets of uh, of 10k, right? So if I go up to them and I say, "Well, now give me 10k after a 20 second pitch," kind of it's kind of insulting. Um, but yeah, so we do have that side to it. So 
And I think another part, you know, you had the first meeting, we asked people to give a yes or no answer at the first meeting. So the truth yeah. is that we're putting them on the spot. We're telling them, okay, at the end of this, you have to give us a yes or no answer. Obviously, we then tell them if it's a yes, we go into due diligence, we look at the financials and so on. Um, but I see a big drop-off rate from that first to second call. So from that yes to, okay, well, let's have a due diligence call now. And that's where it gets a bit more difficult. Um, but I think that's just part of the dynamics of recording your meetings, right? And uh, you actually learn yourself um, how to navigate around it. So now what we do is we actually propose to people, you have two options. We can either pitch your startup and it's a real pitch, angel investor. We need you to be aligned with, you know, you have to be a potential investor, right? To follow up on this, uh, who's actually interested. Or you can actually come in as more of a mentor in the role, or we'll pitch you and you give us feedback, but you don't give us a yes or no. And that allows us to kind of filter out and to understand who's actually a potential investor and who's more there for the camera. Um, and yeah, so there's some ways to adapt to all this. In the end, what I will say is, um, truth is, is that, you know, we have a lot of people, we're crafting our own story so that, you know, what we're sharing online is probably a 70% what's really happening in real life. Um, so there's a whole part of it where we are dramatizing things more. We have reached out ourselves to people and saying we need coaches now because we we see that in our story, we have gone through a lot of hardship and we want to have that Mr. Miyagi moment, like in Karate Kid, right? Where he's punching <laughs> the, the rope every day and that's finally <laughs> Right. So we're doing that right now. Yeah. We're getting all kinds of people involved, spiritual coaches. We're getting people, Navy SEAL guys who are telling me how to focus on your mind and all that kind of stuff. Getting people cool. who are pitch coaches helping us out, that kind of stuff. Um, so it's a lot of fun, honestly, to craft your own. I will finish with this one, one phrase here though. Joe Rogan said in one of his podcasts a long time ago, how would you act if every day there's a documentary team following you and filming you, how would you act if they're following you? Because you know that the story will end with a huge success with an amazing story. How would you act every day? Well, by actually doing that and actually filming everything that you're doing, you're finding yourself, uh, putting in the kind of things that make a great story, which is actually required, right? All this training is bringing me a lot of help. Um, so I do think it's, uh, it's very interesting for sure. Interesting. It's very, very cool. And what have you, what, what's kind of been your biggest takeaway personally it, during the whole process, you know, coming, going from ideation phase to actually implementation, how are you, how are you finding it? Personally, I, like some days you're kind of like, oh gosh, I have to do this again. And other days yeah. I actually, right. So it's kind of like, uh, it jumps back and forth. Um, I do think we're also doing, you know, we do a lot of content. We have other channels where we're creating content on those. Um, and so we do have just maybe a lot of content that we're creating. Um, but overall, I think it's a, for sure. I like it for sure. I think it's fun. Um, but I need to get used to it. And so whenever I do get off camera for a little bit, it's then hard to get back in that flow. I'm, I'm wondering if you have the same thing with a podcast, if you haven't done a podcast in a while, and then you're fresh into a new one after a couple of weeks, do you have kind of a hard time, you know, getting back in that flow? Um, I personally have that, have had that experience, right? Where it's a new podcast. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, a new show, right? Or a new fan filming. And I'm like, okay, I have to get back in this, I have to get in my mindset, be energetic, right? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, certainly. I think I had the pleasure of interviewing a lady, uh, recently she was a former radio host 
and she'd been a radio host for 20 years on some of the mainstream uh, media down here in Australia. And just seeing her like pre, pre-conversation when she walked into the room, you know, she was very civil, very nice. And then when we hit record, boom, like she became alive. And like, I was just like, oh my God. And physically she didn't look much different, but if you listen to her voice, she sounded amazing. I was like, wow, there's such a new level in performance. And it's something I've become increasingly aware of and increasingly I'm trying to improve on that space because it was so much easier to interview someone who was so animated and funny and um she challenged what i asked she sometimes kind of like had a had a crack at me in terms of you know like you should have prepared more <laughs> like i was like what all this this one's amazing and it became such a fascinating conversation um and so mm. it showed me i think it's definitely in terms of like you haven't known for a while it feels a bit you know ru- you feel a bit rusty but then, then I, I, I had the pleasure of discovering what that next level looks like in terms of like, wow, okay, how do you, what's that look like? And, and I wonder, are you finding that in a similar case for you when it comes to capital raising? Like how, how do you go from 45 grand to like 15 cents great, great start? And often capital raising can happen all at the end, right? It happens like five months before you close the round, everything just happens. So how... What are you finding in terms of that next level for you, sort of that, that capital raising or that pitch or the engagement with an investor? Like how are you building that, that trust, I'd say? Yeah, I think there's, um, I would say that there's basically a, you know, a process where you're, for me personally, um, I want to think of this one properly. I think that when I'm engaging with the investor to get that confidence or that rapport building, to get it moving forward more, right, to break through that next kind of ceiling. Um, I think it's like you said, uh, she challenged you, she got you off put kind of, um, and I'm finding that more and more in all these pitches that I'm doing. Um, I find myself going a bit more and more off script. Uh, I'll try and look for the small things in the investor, the small signs of if he nods on a certain part of what I'm saying, I'll mentally try to get out of that and I'll hone down on that part more. Um, and if I see that, if I feel like they're very logical and very focused, I need to be able to shift my whole pitch and be, okay, well, here's the agenda. We're going to start with the problem, the solution. We're then going to cover the market opportunities. And then we're going to finally dive into the team where we're the best guys to solve this. And then finally, we'll talk about the numbers and the traction, right? I'll do a very, and I'll say with there's an agenda, we'll have opportunities to have questions which we'll answer before moving to each point. And by the end, you'll let me know kind of how, what you think about this, right? So very serious, very logical. And I go into another meeting and I'm just making jokes, cracking, I'm like, you know, uh, being silly kind of. Um, and I think it's really important to, to understand who you're talking to, understand how they feel, what their personality is, and to kind of adapt to them um, and to not be afraid from that. Right. Because I think so many people feel like there's an inauthenticity, which I definitely felt myself when I was doing it in the beginning. Right. When I learned how to, how to kind of change your way of talking to better match with the person you're talking with. Um, I felt a lot of pressure that was pushing me back from that. But then as I started doing it, the rewards of it, people were opening much more. Um, conversations were flowing much nicer. Uh, so I feel like that was a big part for me, a big lesson I need to learn in my Mr. Miyagi moment, by the way, um, <laughs> to actually get through that, that next stage. Yeah. <laughs> Lacked on, wax off. It's, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Just let's zoom out a little bit. AI is flavor of the month at the moment. Everyone's kind of got a new AI style out. Everyone's been AI expert for years. Like I'm, I hear people spruiking. You know, they used Grammarly when it first came out, so now they're an AI expert. Um, what, what are you seeing out there in terms of other AI startups and how investors are responding to, to that? You think there's some really good stuff out there or is it becoming a wash with everyone's an AI expert? Right. I'll be honest with you here, Michael. Um, there's a lot of, in every boom, in a dot-com boom, we had loads of potential. Amazon was born and it rise during those years, right? Especially. Um, a lot of the biggest companies today have come from the dot-com bubble, right? Essentially. Um, and I think right now we're having the same thing in, in marketing. And well, in marketing specifically, but especially in AI, um, but AI for marketing, I'm seeing a lot of that. Um, and I think that, you know, 2023, the three fastest growing software products, not just marketing, but general software products were Jasper AI, um, Synthesia, and I think Ad Creative. I think those were the three fastest uh, growing products, all AI marketing products. Ad Creatives creates images um, and advertisements. Um, the kind of advertisements that, you know, uh, you see the picture of the product with written uh, buy me now. Uh, for me, that just screams sells. Um, but it's cool that an AI product can do it. The Synthesia, it's a talking head product. Um, so it's a human talking like we're doing right now. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's pretty good. It, it will get better. And then it will, you know, when it gets amazing, it will be a, f a fantastic product. And then the last one, we have Jasper, which is essentially uh, ChatGPT with some fine tuning for for sales, right? Um, something that's with our team, we could honestly create down the weekend. Um, and it's not too, you know, the whole UI, the whole part of it would obviously take a little bit longer, but the essential core of it is very quickly, quite quick to, to build, to be honest. Um, so I feel like there is a lot of quick growers who are taking all the attention of the VCs who are just all throwing money at it. Um, I think Synthesia went from in two years, it was a $1 billion company, right? So that's a very quick growth uh, to become a unicorn. Um, so I do think that there's a lot of, I personally feel like an AI product today cannot just be, let's take a software interface, let's slap ChatGPT, which I will talk about later, slap ChatGPT, fine tune it with some data, and there we go, we're done, right? I think that there's, it's too easily disrupted, right? Ad Creative, Facebook are creating their own version of it right now, in-house, free of access. Uh, why wouldn't they? Why would they buy them out when they're able to create it so quickly and easily themselves? They have a, they have the whole database. To yeah, accept. they're a lot more intelligent behind it. Yeah, exactly. So I think personally that um, you need to add more in there. And that's where you need to think of adding extra layers in there. Um, I, I, you know, for us, for example, our freelancer database is one of them. Um, the actual processes, like I said, there's two ways that we have this. We have the very quick ones where we have the AI who's only doing kind of the adaptability of the process. Um, and then, but we still have built the process itself and that's still internal kind of knowledge that we built ourselves. Um, and so those are kind of things that. I think that's where AI will be getting a lot of intention. If you can use AI to take some complicated process, which wasn't scalable before, and you make it more scalable in a tailored way, then you're using AI in a really interesting way. 
Um, yeah. But if you're using AI for just natural language generation or something like that, and just to write the text for you, you're you're setting yourself up for failure, right? Because you're setting yourself up to be disrupted quite easily by big players who have ten times the funding and uh, you know ten times capabilities and data and so on. So that's my that's my opinion on that. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. So why do you think investors are falling for it? Is it because they don't know? They're just trying to ride the wave? Because naturally, the VC model is you make lots of small bets on everything, basically. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's be honest. For, for fastest growing product in 2023, that's a big feat. Um, so yeah. the VCs are probably really happy with that, right? And it probably is good results. I would love to see the churn rates uh, of the platform. I personally used it myself and I've tried it out. I have some friends of agencies who tried it out. Um, I see it being used a lot by freelancers, which is interesting. And I think that there is some use case there because it makes their job quicker and so on. Uh, yeah. Generally, the agencies are using those freelancers is kind of how I'm seeing this right now. Um, but so, you know, but I do want to see 10 years down the road, where will they be? Um, what's, the, what's the next step, right? Now that they have this, how will they go from not being a disruptable company in 10 years? That's what I'm really interested in. If they're able to answer those questions with a very clear plan, and those are probably internal meetings they're having with the VCs, well, then maybe there is a reason why all this money is being thrown at them. But from an outside perspective, just seeing this growth, seeing all the money being funded to them for the kind of product that they have, it just creates a lot of fear in me. I don't think I would be in, I would not touch that investment with a five meter stick to us. Interesting. It's, I think that's true of a lot of companies, right? And as an investor, I speak to, I've been talking to a number of founders who've exited their company recently, and it's been really fascinating. They've gone through the process. They, you know, they all, when you say, oh, do you want to start another business? They all kind of like sit there and kind of oh, shudder a little bit because <laughs> of how hard it is, right? And then they go, they, the usual response is, hell no, basically. And then, then they go, well, then we the transitions into well, how are you finding it now trying to be an investor, and then they go, well, it's, it's really hard. It's re and it's specifically really hard to find people who are willing to do the work, right? That that meaning like, yeah, you know, a couple of guys they they were selling into real estate companies, and he would just hit the phone all day every day just trying to get into real estate companies, and and he says a lot of companies want the venture capital funding, they spend all day pitching. But they're not really doing the the deep thinking. It sounds that's not dissimilar to what you're talking about there, right? In terms of a well packaged, let's say, well marketed, um, fairly average um, AI solution. So, uh, what about for yourself? How do you make sure you stand out to be the re real deal peers, opposed to being washed with what's going on? Yeah. Well, I would say that it comes down. We talk about intelligence performance, right, on this podcast, and I think that it comes down to gathering the intelligence, right? So that could be information, right? So gather the information on the markets, on the state of AI today, the biggest competitors in this space, the biggest AIs on the markets, how well they're working, um, what their plans are, and where they're moving into. Just so recently that AI has just launched their um, Saro, right? For a video generation. Looks really incredible. Amazing. Yeah. Right. I was even questioning, wait, like, are they going to be able to recreate the guy who goes in the street with a microphone? Right. And just not have to go in the streets at all, which is 10 times easier than the pressure of going into the streets and doing it. Right. So I was even wondering that. Well, right? it's so, you, you're thinking of creating AI videos, which shows you out there funding. 
Is that is that what you say? Right. Well, I'm, well, I'm wondering, will they be able to create that with this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that would be. Yeah, that's one of the big parts. If you're able to replace the guy who comes to your restaurant to film you with the camera, yeah, then you're getting to a point where there's really a lot of questions on where this is going to be in the next. Right, if that's going to happen in the next two years, then it's going to need a dramatic pivot for us. That's the reality. I do know that because that's where we see our value is going to be. We cannot currently have an AI come to your restaurants and film you at your restaurant sharing your story or filming some customers who got a free meal, talking about the meal, things like that. That's what we're building. We're building so that people can have that done for for a fraction of the price than any of the solutions that provide that kind of solution right now, right? Um, so if we get to that stage, then I need to be able to pivot very quickly. So I think it's more and more about, as a, for investors, it's more about the founder. Do they actually, are they actually gathering the intelligence and acting on that intelligence, right? And as long as they are able to do that in a cost-effective way with the capital that they have, then I think it's a pretty sure bet. But you cannot just expect that, you know, if you're if you're going to be pissed off because they're pivoting two years down the road, you probably shouldn't be investing in AI products, right? Because AI products, they need to be very agile on the next release, that dev day, that next dev day by OpenAI, right? Um, and so far we have been, I'm. that's all I do, right? All I'm spending my time is looking at what's there, does it disrupt us? Could it disrupt us? Where will this be in two, three years? What do we have to do to actually still be relevant, right? And I think that's really the important part there. Yeah, yeah I think um, the advancement is extraordinary. Like that, I think I saw it the weekend, Will Smith eating spaghetti, and it was laughable, right? It was like, and then they contrasted with just 18 months down the track, and you're like, oh my God, you know, puppies playing in the snow. And it's like, that's insane, like how good, and how good that is. So, uh, yeah, really, and really tricky to stay ahead of that period. Like, you have to be super, like, who who's really leading in this market? I know you're saying Europe at the moment. Are you finding, is the US really killing this in terms of this space? Or do you feel like Europe's maybe ahead? Or, I don't know, what's your global take on it? Right. Well, I think it's more company-based than country-based um, or, you know, even continent. Um and for sure, the the ecosystem in the US is where I'm seeing these companies coming from the most. Um, regulations is a different story. Um, EU seems to be a bit more stringent on the regulations uh, for what they're looking at doing. US is remaining more open from what I'm seeing so far. Um, but to be honest, I mean, like, for example, the US OpenAI is talking about doing a $7 trillion fund round, right? Um, I think that will be the first company ever to do that, right? <laughs> you would do that in, in Luxembourg or in Europe. People like, they would say, like, I mean, can I, I don't know if I can swear on this possibly, but you would be effed off the stage for sure if yeah. you come and ask for a $7 trillion fund round, right? Um, so, yeah, I think that the US does have that mentality that's required to move quickly and go bigger and faster. Um, yeah. And to look over the fears of it, because I think that here in Europe, we're a bit more fearful, like, well, do we really want this AI to be that powerful? Or anything? Is this, yeah. to be honest, guys, is this the best decision? <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is understandable. Um, but I think that we cannot shy away from it, right? The moment we start to try and control things, I don't think that it ever works. Humans are not great at controlling the future yeah. and proactively changing it. 
they're great at being adaptable and reactive to the changes and shape-shifting to it, right? When the printing press came out in the 15th century, they said that it was the end of civilization. It was the end of, you know, jobs and everything and knowledge was going to be attained by everybody and that was going to make it, you know, it was going to be the end of hierarchies and everything, right? They didn't happen. It's, the world's still great. Humans are still amazing. There's still some hierarchies. It's all changed very much. It's now yeah. company-based and so on. Um, but no, in the end, people have fear. Then the change comes, and two weeks later, we're like, why is this not better, right? <laughs> it's a bit different. Yeah, it's, um, it's not, that, that's probably very, very accurate what you said in terms of that that space. I think was, I was talking to someone, a founder actually, he was talking about how he used to advertise, and he was saying, uh, you know, even just 20 years ago or 10 years ago, probably 20, he couldn't get TV advertising, and he knew that if you got a TV news advertising slot, you might drop 750 bucks to get some of the distressed ads in there. But if you got that, you knew it was going to go out to four or five million people. And basically, it was just a numbers game. And you knew this, you know, drop 750 and you could monetize that. He says these days, he says, I don't know how you would, um, he said, I, I don't know how to spend the money anymore. Like you can't guarantee that anymore because it's so dispersed. And I think that's what's been really amazing. You know, even the fact that we can sit here, record this podcast, and it can go out to an audience at like almost no cost or very low cost is extraordinary. Um, and but makes the media landscape very tricky. So I, um, Peter, I think it's a great place to leave our conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time out. I'm not even too sure what time it is where you are, but um, right. we, yeah, great to hear your journey and we'll link to your uh, your company. And um, if you end up doing a crowd race, uh, do let me know and I'd love to kind of speak to them and, and even have you on again if you want to. Sounds great. Sounds great, Michael. Thanks a lot for you. Honestly, you talked about um, in this call, we talked about, you know, some of the radio people you had on boards. And I feel like you do have that radio sexy voice. You're able to make me very <laughs> and at ease. I think that you brought it, you bring out the best in the people you interview. Um, I saw your latest one with Jake or Trevor. Um, and yeah. yeah, I think, or Blake, Trevor. Yeah. Anyway, like, yeah. Yeah, Trevor Bake. Yeah. That was a really good one. And you very quickly, within two minutes, you can feel the guest is at home and you're starting to, you know, break bread and talk it out, which I think is a, a really nice podcast to have. So, yeah, congrats on that, man. 